Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Professor Judy Van Billion from the School of Computing in the College of Science, Engineering and Computing at the University of South Africa, UNISA. And she also holds the National Research Foundation's Chair in Information and Communication for Development. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Prof Van Billion, when I was preparing for the show, there are a number of things that really stood out for me. The fact that People interact with various forms of computers, be it phones, their their vehicles, uh, calculators, in multiple different ways from touchscreen to voice to machine to machine. I understand that your particular areas of interest center on information and communication for development, in particular technology adoption, which is so important these days, human-computer interaction, specifically usability evaluations and human-computer interaction in developing contexts, as well as knowledge mobilization and visualization in teaching and learning. In layman's terms, can you briefly explain what human-computer interaction is? HEI, as we abbreviate it, focuses on the design of interfaces between people and computers, as you see. Examples in everyday life is the control panel of your microwave, uh, the website, or the TV remote. Now, the way this progressed, initially computers were, were used by the people who created them. Interfaces were hard to use, and there was this feeling that the people are just not, that they're just not clever enough to use this. Then people started researching it and found, no, uh, there are better ways of doing this. And I mean, if you look at an example like a door, uh, some doors have a round knob, which suggests that you should turn the knob. Others may have a handle, which you could push or pull. Some that don't have, have any handle, then you possibly know now I have to push, like in hospitals. So there are ways of designing things that make it more uh, intuitive. And this field is about looking at systems and thinking, how can we design this better? Especially when we are dealing with special needs groups like children, older people, and there are different groups that have specific needs and we have to design accordingly. So this, the HEI researchers now have different usability methods. Uh, we can observe people, we can record what they're doing, we can do eye tracking, where you can then see where their eyes are focusing, because uh, people are generally they try to be nice. If you ask them about the system, they're very positive, uh, generally. But when you go and look at how they how they try to do a task, you'll see where they struggle. And that's why it's so important to do this scientifically. What we are aiming at is to have websites that are effective. That means you, you can get the job done. Uh, that are efficient. That means it doesn't take you too long and it's not, you don't have to expend too much effort. And then with satisfaction, once you've done this job, you must feel good about it. Like I recently lost my luggage and I had to do this 
lost baggage claim. Now, I would not rather not tell you the, the airline, but goodness, I did not have satisfaction. In the end, I, I you know, I succeeded, but I'm, I'm going to send them a whole list of usability issues on that site, which, you know, if you study this, then you know this is not how it should be. Uh, otherwise, we people, you know, we just put it on ourselves that, yeah, you know, I guess I'm stupid. I couldn't do this. But uh, that's our role to, to really make websites more accessible. It's such an important field because if we think of our digital economy for IR, et cetera, this is where we're going. So it is about being able to have that intuitive design and make it as user-friendly and uh, enriching experience as possible. What motivated you to go into this direction? Well, I started my career as a mathematics teacher. That was long, long ago when IT was just starting out. And then the, the guy who had the IT lab resigned. And as it happens at schools, you just inherit things. So I inherited the lab. And then I thought, well, I'd better start studying this now. So I, I fortunately I was in Bloemfontein and I took evening classes at the university and I studied it and I enjoyed it. And I think important thing for people is I studied as a more mature person which when I didn't understand, I put up my hand and I asked. That made a big difference for me because undergraduate, I, was, I wasn't I was getting on a, a, a distinctions for everything. But when I started studying that, I did. And uh, the difference is, uh, you know, ask. So I did, yeah, I just kept continuing until I got my PhD in computer science. We know that universities conduct a lot of research and you are in such an applied field. Can you tell us about a few of the research projects that you've worked on, which you feel have had a really significant impact on the discipline? Thank you. As as you mentioned, knowledge visualization is is one of my interests. Now you have a, a research field and you have problems that you want to solve, and then you have um, concepts or tools that you think, oh, if I apply this one, I think it could make a difference. And knowledge visualization is about using visuals. Those could be pictures, figures, graphs for knowledge transfer. Um, and I've studied that in more than one way. Uh, the one of that was uh, for postgraduate dissertations. What is the impact of using visuals in postgraduate dissertations. And uh, not without going into the details, I can tell you more is not better. It's not about adding more visuals. It's about how should they be. And, and that I think that is important, something that uh, students can use. Obviously, you look at a picture and it's, uh, it's much quicker than reading a part of text. Then uh, another interesting project was an incident management system. This master's student wanted to create a system for managing incidents like uh, fires uh, on water or even accidents. And he, he did this for a municipality in South Africa. And um, now the, the science came in with the visualization. You need to create this interface so that anybody looking at it uh, can immediately see what they should do. 
There's no time to call anyone or to this or that. They had to give the information. And uh, so it had to be really uh, easy to understand. And we used, we tested visualization principles on that. So then it was on an app and people would respond um, and there would be a response system. And based on those responses, the response system would then prioritize the requests and then send people out. So, uh, yeah, and he also won, uh, he, he won a contract based on that system. So I felt that was a, a, a real life impact project. Uh, others with the human computer interaction in the lab, learning management systems, uh, being at UNISA, that's always been important to us. And now with the COVID, uh, you know, everybody is now using learning management systems. So improving those. Um, in UNISA, we also have students in other parts of Africa. So I've got a student in Ghana, also looking at that in their context. Um, mobile design for the elderly. That's a, a project that we worked on. Currently, I'm looking at... Um, Topic modeling of natural language processing for finding themes in research literature. I guess, you know, we all need to take care of AI without abandoning everything else. And then there's the explainable artificial intelligence, uh, which is an interesting new field. And that's very important so that, that people understand how they are using the AI. And it's really complex. I mean, some things are, um, one needs to be uh, honest about what you can really explain and, and what is just too complex, uh, the machine learning algorithms, but especially in developing countries, so that when we buy systems or use systems, AI systems, that we can understand what can we expect from the systems and how how explainable should they be. You work in such a fascinating field. It is innovating and evolving continuously. How do you keep up with the trends? Yeah, that, that is a challenge. Uh, I've been fortunate to work with good people. And uh, against in research, there's a core of knowledge that you need uh, and, and methods that you need. You know, I know I do design science research. I do this kind of analysis. And then when I look at any problem or a student approaches a problem, then I say, well, what I can help you with is doing it in this way. Uh, there are other ways of doing it, uh, but then you need to find other people to do it. So I think you need to be honest about your boundaries. What, what are your core skills? And then there were cases where I would get in another supervisor who was more of a content expert now with the AI. Uh, but yeah, I think inter and multidisciplinary teams. Yeah, it is the way to go. And we think about it literally every sector of the economy is undergoing some type of digital transformation on a continual basis, be it finance, health, manufacturing, marketing, which what I've seen is it's not a case of replacing or substituting what was done in an analog way for a digital way. Often it's a complete 360, well, not even 360, what do we say, a 180 revolutionary phase with new and different forms of economic growth. But with that, 
as you spoke earlier, it's it's about having the right skill set and acknowledging what your limitations are and perhaps gleaning the, the skills that you require to work on what you need from somebody else. But in all of this, it is creating a greater demand for STEM and ICT skills and creating new employment opportunities. And with us being a gender show, we look at this from a woman's perspective. How would you say your role as a professor in computing contributes to shaping the next generation of female computing professionals? Well, I think just having women in the role is a good start, but it's it's clearly not enough because you have to be aware of your responsibility there to open up. Uh, My students, I, I don't actually specifically select to get 50%, but at least 50% of my uh, students are women. And um, I, I think just being a woman, I've also had two kids. I've been divorced and I had to do my PhD while having two small kids. So I have some understanding that if you're on a Zoom meeting and the child is crying in the background, that's not because you are a lazy, disorganized person. It is just because whoever you, whatever you put in place to sort this matter is not working well. So I do hope that I, I bring that and I look at my students as people and I feel a child under the age of five, that child has only one mother, whereas I have many students. If this student is not progressing as fast as I hoped, well, it shouldn't be me holding her back. But if she tells me she needs six months longer, then I understand that. And I feel if a person knows that uh, your supervisor understands your your values and that the child is your most important uh, priority, uh, the child is never an excuse for not progressing, but it is a priority. And I feel... If they have, feel that they have a safe space and they can tell you, okay, sorry, I want, I need a week's extension or this or that. Um, I, I feel that helps and that's about as much as I can do. Obviously, quality standards are not negotiable, but, uh, we understand priorities and we understand that they are the first line of responder. It's impossible to have a a cookie cutter approach. And when you were talking earlier about being a mature student, when you were studying at uh, University of the Free State, it really comes into this fact that when you are are young, you've got no responsibilities or, or limited responsibilities. But as you get older, life happens and you do have more responsibilities. So Having an educational institution which understands the dynamics is a wonderful environment that is not limiting or inhibiting. Yes, I think that is, um, I think, you know, generally uh, people are becoming more aware and uh, seeing students as holistic beings and that, that, that they have to be cared for and supported and you can only do your best if you feel safe in whatever environment you are working. Now, at, the, at university, I did my, my undergraduate up to master's at the University of the Free State. Then I uh, moved to UNISA. And that, that's certainly an advantage of UNISA, the flexibility. All my students are working, which is, uh, you know, really challenging for them. Uh, but fortunately, I was also in that position. 
So uh, you you don't know the exact circumstances, but uh, yes, I think uh, the flexibility is there. I think also these days men tend to help more, and I'm I'm glad for that. I'm, I'm seeing that that many of my students have supportive husbands, and I think that's crucial. Having a a cultural shift in terms of what were stereotyped roles typified for for different genders has to shift. So there's one dynamic where we're seeing these cultural shifts happen, uh, which is important to to progress. But still, women tend to be underrepresented in leadership roles across the board, whether that's in business or in, in the academic space. How do you think women occupying positions of leadership influence younger women to perhaps consider non-typical positions as viable career options? Yes, I think the more women there are, the, the more it, it seems like, you know, this is something I can do. Um, given centuries of male-dominated governance, I think many things were just set up in a way that that advantages men. I think South Africa, we are fortunate. In in many places, there are quotas for women and uh, quotas is always a debatable issue, but it has, it has pushed more women into, into leadership positions, especially at universities. Uh, I think the private sector is maybe a bit slower, uh, but even there, there, there are still some regulations and just general practices to be considered, which really make it difficult. In terms of the people I meet and the, the men I interact with, I don't think it's on a personal level. I've, I've had very few uh, in my life, you know, I felt men helped me along and uh, generally they are welcoming to women. But I think we have to know it's been centuries of creating the space that suit men uh, and so it, it's going to be a long, long haul to really get it. And, and I think we, we all have to be aware of it. Look at practices and think about how, how does this work for women? Almost a redesign of things, of, of the interfaces that we physically experience, of changing those spaces to be accommodating and to reflect the needs of both genders. Exactly. And, and that's why it is so important. And I'm really thankful to see that, that how men are supporting their women. Because I'm previously, uh, it would be business meetings and then the evening, the boys would go out and the women would go home and uh, tend to the children. Whereas now, if women have to go out, their husbands tend to the children. And I mean, I guess that that's where men have to decide. Do I want a successful woman? that uh, brings in a good income, that's fulfilled. And uh, my daughter is, is an entrepreneur. And the one thing she always says, if you keep quiet to keep the peace, you start a war within yourself. And and that is, I think, something women need to think about and discuss with their husbands because every time they keep quiet and say, okay, I won't go, then, then that war starts and it, it can, can come to a point where the woman has to decide between a marriage and a career, and that is certainly not something we want. But on the other hand, th- there's a win-win for all if the husband can support. That's a really important insight that you've shared with us. 
from a leadership point of view, what would you say are some of your go-to strategies? Yeah, I think uh, I'm certainly a transactional leader, which is, I'll say to students, okay, what is our goal? From my point, my expectation is that you want a qualification. My role is to try and help you to get that as effective. Uh, that means you're going to pass as efficient, as quick as possible, without unnecessary delays or doing unnecessary things, and with satisfaction. I want you to enjoy it. If you're not proud of what you're doing, if you're not enjoying it, yeah, it's possibly not going to happen. But there's a quid pro quo. That's what I do. You also have to do things. I have expectations that you have to do certain things and do them on time and do them with quality. What I don't plan to become your best friend or your psychiatrist. <laughs> so, um, but there are different, uh, supervision styles. Some people are more emotionally involved with their students and it might work for them and their students. And that's fine. So yeah, I, I'm open to the fact that there are different styles and, uh, it's important that you discuss that, uh, or normally students do a proposal first, and then during the proposal, you get to know each other, and you get to see if this is working. UNISA, though, is a very special institution. I mean, it is the definitely the largest distance learning institution in South Africa. I, I can't recall, but I think there's something like 300,000 students with the university. Yeah, more, more? more, more 300, 350. Um yeah, it's definitely the largest in Africa, across the world. I'm not so sure at the stage it was the largest in the world, but certainly in Africa it is. So you, I mean, you educate on a scale that is, uh, I think, difficult for for most people to contemplate. Yes, that that we are really fortunate and that so many people from all over Africa I've had students in Ethiopia and I've visited them, which was a wonderful experience for me. And later I worked with them as colleagues and uh, in Tanzania and in uh, Kenya and now in Ghana. So, yes, we are, we are really a culturally diverse university. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and today we're talking to Professor Judy Fenbillion from the School of Computing in the College of Science, Engineering and Computing at the University of South Africa. Prof. Fenbillion, Womanity, Woman in Unity is all about celebrating women's achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy against racism, gender-based violence, as well as socioeconomic class division. Can you share with us some of the obstacles that you've perhaps encountered as a woman whilst building your career and how you overcame them? Uh, the first time would I've realized that I was different in the workplace was when I was a mathematics teacher and I, I was working for a year and then I got married. And then suddenly my status changed from being a permanent employee to being temporary based just on the fact that I was now married. Uh, and yeah, certainly I had to, uh, you know, now the, the the principal called me in and said, okay, now you're temporary. So it is more difficult for me uh, to give you a position next year. 
what can you know? I, I see you're quite enthusiastic about the hockey, and your, your third team is doing really well. So uh, actually, I would like to keep you, but now we've got too many good mathematics teachers. So uh, is there anything else that you can do on 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 grade twelve level? Uh, actually, my my home economics teacher is leaving. So uh, do you think you could do that? And yeah, what were my options? You know, I was in the Kruenstadt. Uh, there weren't that many schools, that many options. So either I had to relocate, leave my husband, or uh, or I could. Yeah, I was without a job. And so I said, yeah, no, you know, I, I had it at school. I never studied it at university. But yeah, let me have a go at it. Um, and yeah, I worked hard because you can think how, you know, getting yourself up to speed, the, the instructor that, that always had these inspectors for home economics. I would come and check out your lab and everything. At first, he wasn't impressed with me. What do you think you're doing? You never studied this. But I mean, I worked hard and in the end, I was one of her favorites and I did it for three years. So. Yeah, sometimes something comes across and you, you need to decide how important that is. And uh, uh, in the end, I enjoyed it. Uh, it took me away from mathematics. So in that, uh, well, I was still teaching mathematics, but that wasn't that my, my main focus. But in the end, I returned to mathematics. And I guess sometimes they, you've got an obstacle and you've got to decide, do you want to do this? Forgive me, it just sounds ridiculous. Simply because you got married, your status from being a permanent employee with job security shifted to one of being temporary. Your focus subject of mathematics, which is what you've been trained in, your discipline, which is a core STEM subject, was then almost made redundant for you to take up a softer issue of home economics. Yes, it is ridiculous. I, I think that has changed now. I, I don't think it, it works like that anymore. So things are improving. Uh, but yeah, that's where we came from. Obviously, as you say, you know, things are improving. But the reality is that we will still confront a challenge. We will still confront an issue which bears no logic purely because of gender what words of advice would you give to women who are listening to us on how they should contest issues which are so fundamentally wrong? I think you can only work on yourself. Uh, be prepared. Be knowledgeable. Work on yourself. Be fit. Work on your environment. And when those challenges come, then, I mean, you do your best. I mean, when we are in positions of power and we can change uh, rules that are unfair, that are discriminatory. Yes, let's do that. But often, you know, we are not there and, and don't look for discrimination. I think if you want to look for it, you will always find it. But for me, if you really make sure that you know your subject, that you are reliable, that you are the kind of person people want to work with, people want to have in their team, that is your strength. And, and that, that lies within you. If you had the chance to redo anything, what would you change and how would you go about it? Uh, I think I, I would have spent more time on creating my structure. I always think about the bamboo plot. Apparently, for the first five years, 
it doesn't, you don't see much. It is just setting up its roots. It's creating this amazing root structure. Then within six weeks, it can shoot up to 27 feet. And, and those shoots are strong. I mean, they used in, in buildings in, to keep up buildings. So I think often we underestimate that. We underestimate our habits. Unfortunately, from my parents, and so I think I had, de- I had decent enough habits in terms of being healthy, eating healthy, exercising, etc. But also in your working environment, often I would just do with whatever. If it's not a good computer, if it's not a, the printer's not working very well, I would just, you know, grin and bear it and carry on. Whereas I think one needs to spend that, make the time and effort to create a good environment. So important. I'm thinking about resources and how they're allocated. And when you spoke about being in a position of power of this opportunity to, to create change, and that seems to be, well, where, where the power is. Those are where the resources are, are held. So it's almost as though I implore women to really raise and pursue positions of power to access those resources. Yeah. No, no, I just wanted to say, yes, I mean, it is, uh, and, and for all of us, there's a long wall that there's just getting through the trenches, but uh, use that to build your roots. But no, it it is better on the other side. One of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to their success. Some people will talk about a particular person in their life, uh, values, faith, discipline. In your view, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Uh, Yes, thank you. I I think all of those... Uh, but for me, habits, habits is, is the important thing, even more important than motivation, because motivation comes and goes. But if you can select a goal, and the thing about selecting a goal is that you, and I think there I would uh, actually uh, like to read you a quote by Ray Dalio, who said, I learned that if you work hard and creatively, You can have just about anything you want, but not everything you want. Maturity is the ability to reject good alternatives in order to pursue even better ones. And I think that is, you know, looking at something and saying, I want that. I want to do that. If I do that, I won't be able to do X, Y, Z, but that's okay. And I think often we get stuck in trying to do everything and trying to be everything to everyone. Whereas you say, I want to do that. In order to do that, these things need to be rejected. Especially in doing a PhD, you have to be almost uh, uh, relentless at stages. And, you know, I need to do this. Sorry, people. This this is what I'm doing now. And... um so, yeah, I think you have to do that, but you have to be careful. You don't want to end up with a PhD and no family and no friends. So it, it is a balance. But I think it is important to set a goal and then to create the habits and the environment to support you. Very, very true. And I, I can say, speaking from experience on PhDs, 
Prof von Billion, can you share with us some of the pivotal moments in your life growing up? I grew up on a farm in the Free State in the uh, Springfontein uh, town. And next to our house, not big farmhouse, was this big tree. And it was the most beautiful tree. But then it started leaning over towards the house. My dad said, now you will have to cut down this tree. But he just couldn't couldn't get it over his heart. And it was a long debate going on. And one day he said, now, now, we can't wait any longer. So he got the ropes and everybody helped. And, you know, the, the, they chopped it down until it, it fell. It was a big crash. And it looked like the tree was coming alive. All little animals were running from that tree. And we realized there were birds' nests in the tree. And to me, it was a shock to realize how many animals were living in that tree. You look at a tree and you think, oh, my, maybe there's a bird or two sitting on it and it will fly out. And it's become a metaphor for me in life that each person and also each relationship is like a tree. And for you as a person listening today, I know you have dependents and there are uh And maybe people that are financially dependent on you, you're very aware of them. But there are also many other people who are dependent on you. Just the person you go to work and you greet them, you have a quick chat and they feel more motivated. Or many other people in your life that you just interact with. You may not even be aware of how much you do support them. So, yeah, I've just got a big respect for for trees <laughs> ever since and 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 also that humans are like trees and then whenever somebody passes it it's all those little creatures uh, who were kind of dependent on some way for shelter for support from that person and and to me that's a, a, a you know important and it's it's also in, in a marriage if a marriage breaks down it's like a tree that falls to the ground And the kids and everybody's running for shelter. And yeah, so it, it just gave me a, a respect and that we should really think about ending relationships and uh, the things that support and shelter people. Yeah. And hearing you, I'm getting this view apart from the, the tree analogy that we all have our own micro ecosystems that are connected and into larger ecosystem network structures. Can you tell us about some of the strong female role models that you've had in your life? I think your mother is always your first role model. And my mom, she has a strive for perfection. And when I do something, even now, uh, and I, I'm not going to, you know, I think about slacking it a bit and I, I kind of just feel her eyes on me and I think, no, Judy, do it properly. So, uh, my mom is, is, is always been, uh, to me an inspiration. Uh, work-wise, uh, they, we had a dean, Professor Gugu Moche, and she really inspired me. I wasn't like working with her too much, but she was just one of those people that were always open, accessible, rational, and, and so scholarly. So she was inspirational. Now we have uh, Professor Sarah Johnson, and uh, she is also one of the kindest and just such a, a genuine person 
that can take us through a meeting without, that I think this meeting is going to last forever. But she will, without harassing anybody with while being gracious and kind, she will get us through that meeting. And uh, yeah, I think to me, she's also an inspiration of how to deal with people and how to communicate in, in ways that people feel um, supported. I've definitely taken away from today's conversation that we are versatile beings, that there is no one size solution to fitting everything, that we need to be flexible, that we need to be adaptable and change according to almost reading the room to get the responses or or the results that we we aim for. Lastly, as we close out the conversation, could you share a few words of inspiration, uh, motivation that you'd like to convey to girls and women who are listening to the show? Yes. Ladies, this your time is now and you have it in you. The, the opportunities are there. The world is opening up. Uh, but trust in yourself and reach out. You're not supposed to do this on your own. Reach out. There are many mentors. If anybody is listening today, uh, you can find me online, uh, Judy von Bellion at UNISA. You will find my email. You can contact me. There may be people closer to you that would be in a better position to support you. But yeah, you've got it in you. Reach for the stars. You can make it. And we all need a little help at times. So don't be shy to ask. Great message. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, learning about the subject matter, learning about uh, leadership styles and opportunities for women. Thank you for having me and uh, this to all of you. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Judy Finbillion from the School of Computing in the College of Science, Engineering and Computing at the University of South Africa. 